Here we go. Yes, it's September the 1st in the year of our Lord, 2023. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, and that's an email day. I just want to remind you that if you ever want to ask a question or send an email, the email address for Law and Gospel now is Tom Baker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. Yesterday with Wes Reimnitz, we talked about atheism. And I just want to remind people uh, the insight that we found there. That atheists say there is no God and then they say they hate him. Yes, time and time again, people will speak out against God as unbelievers, and they will hate him because of the nonsense that is said at funerals or because they don't agree with the morality of the Bible. At any rate, they hate God. I thought felt that that was a real good insight. And today we're going to be moving to another insight. We're taking a look at an email sent by Ray Comfort. And after going through it, I decided to let you know that today I'm going to be kind of like a John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what was his ministry? Remember, he had a ministry of a baptism of repentance. There, there's two goals in Christianity. Number one, as Jesus says at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, to have people repent of their sins. And number two, to believe in the Gospel. So today we're going to be kind of in a majority way, looking at repentance. There's a birthday card that begins its greeting with, everything I love in life is illegal, immoral, or fattening. Now, that birthday card was meant to be humorous, but it could be a catchy sermon title about the human heart's attraction to sin. You know, it's interesting how sodas and fast foods are produced by diet companies. One feeds the other. They know that sugar is the number one ingredient to open our mouths and wallets. Well, sin is like sugar. It is sweet to the taste. It's addictive. Sugar is in almost everything. It gives an instant high with a kickback. Both are sweet to the taste. I know when I'm ready to go to bed, what I ask for is something that is sweet. Something 
like ice cream or some dessert that has great sweetness to it. Most new parents enjoy the experience of putting a little something sweet on the tongue of an infant and watching their eyes widen with delight. So it is with sin. It's sweet to the tongue and widens our eyes right from infancy. The scriptures say that our propensity to sin is rooted in our very nature. Listen to Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. That's Psalm 58, verse 3. It's part of what we have been talking about when we go through the book of Proverbs with Solomon. Solomon is a lot of times talking to his son, just as God the Father talks to his children. Because when we are born, we are addicted to sin. It's called original sin. And so we have an attitude. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. We want to become independent. We become rebellious. And that is why children up to maybe teenagers or even beyond that need to hear about the word of the Holy Spirit, how to live a life that is in agreement with the wisdom of Jesus Christ. That's the work of parents when they have a newborn children. So we go astray from the moment we are born. It's just a matter of time before the love of sin becomes evident in a child. No doubt, David salivated while his sinful heart looked lustfully at Bathsheba. According to Romans 15.4, that narrative was written for our instruction, and we certainly need it. The scriptures say that every one of us is drawn away by our own lust. That's James 1.14. The Bible speaks of us of having eyes full of adultery, as loving darkness more than light, and as drinking sin like we drink water. Remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Murdering someone does not just occur by an action. It also takes place by thought and word. So, sin is addictive. If we serve sin, Jesus said that we become a slave to it. John 8, 34. 
pornography, drunkenness, greed, anger, hatred, jealousy, are all hard taskmasters that won't let up, even with a whip. That's why we must guard our hearts and walk in fear of the Lord, knowing that his eye is in every place, beholding the evil and the good, and that he will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Sugar has found its way into much of our food, from beans, ketchup, and peas, to soft drinks, fruit juices, sports drinks, energy drinks, breakfast cereals, granola bars, barbecue sauce, salad dressings. Now, manufacturers have added sugar for taste and texture. In a world saturated with sugar and sin, it's not easy to stay away from both. However, the Christian, when baptized or when he believes in Jesus by reading the Bible, is able to stay away. A Christian is someone who has left Sodom and we don't look back because God has made us fit for the kingdom. How are we fit for the kingdom? Not when we stop sinning, because that never happens, but when we repent of our sin. And what is proper repentance? Proper repentance includes not only sorrow over sin for what we are doing to Jesus, but also faith in Jesus. Jesus becomes sweetness to our soul. We can have that new nature that loves righteousness. And because of that, we can escape the corruption that is in the world because of lust. Second Peter 1.4 reads, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Remember when Jesus reprimanded Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He explained that Peter had his eyes on the world rather than his eyes on the heavenly kingdom. And that's the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. Yes, lust certainly permeates society, from billboards to social media, magazines, music, television, and movies. There's the story about a husband who stood on the bathroom scale and to his unbelief, he saw that he had put on a few pounds. So he checked with his wife 
and she said the same thing. The scales were obviously faulty. So they purchased some new scales. Guess what? They were faulty also. Sometimes the truth is hard for us to face. Consuming too much sugar carries catastrophic consequences. It can cause secular problems like obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. That can be a deadly kickback. What terrible consequences sin had for David. Remember what he did? He had Bathsheba's husband murdered. And then the tragic death of their own child. Despite its delight, your sin will lead to an ultimate kickback. James 1.15 puts it this way. Then, when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Sin promises heaven, but will eventually deliver hell. Never let it deceive you. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus and his cross and take your cross up daily and follow him because sin will be daily knocking on your door. Don't open it. We have an enemy in Satan who knows our weaknesses and pushes the door. Lock it by having a tender conscience that sends out an alarm when the door is pushed. Determine to continually turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the subtleties of the serpent, who every moment of every day will whisper, taste and see that sin is good. And it's this view of sin that is the cause behind America's great de-churching what is de-churching? It's the idea that people are no longer attending church like they used to. In 2023, that last question feels uncomfortably relevant, even for those of us who know God is alive and well. Church membership in the United States is down as a percentage of the population. It's now at a record low, down more than 20 points in the 21st century from the 20th century. Now, for years, this statistic could be attributed mostly to the decline of mainline Protestantism a once dominant force in American life 
that is now a kind of hospice for grain liberal theology. For example, recent news at the Southern Baptist Convention, America's largest Protestant denomination, lost half a million members last year, makes clear that decline is no longer just a mainline problem. Evangelicals as a share of the population have sunk to pre-1980s levels, while the religiously unaffiliated have swelled to nearly a third of the population. Ryan Burge, a statistician and co-author of a book entitled The Great Dechurching, calls the emptying of pews and the rise of the unaffiliated the most significant shift in American society over the last 30 years. It's kind of significant to understand the reasons that most Americans probably don't yet realize. In fact, secular observers may shrug off or even celebrate America's great dechurching. But a less religiously observant society is statistically a much worse place to live. As Jake Meader wrote in his review of the great dechurching at the Atlantic, this change is bad news for America as a whole. And then he gives the reasons. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. Faith, particularly Christian faith, is an irreplaceable force for good in society. The decline of Christian faith will leave America less healthy, less charitable, less connected, and less capable of dealing with major social ills without government intervention. Evidence suggests it already has. At the same time, it's essential to remember that these benefits are byproducts of faith, not the main point of faith. The main point of faith is trust in Jesus. You know, he did many miracles, did many things like feeding 5,000 people, healing them, etc. But a lot of people still did not recognize him properly as a true Messiah. They instead considered him to be a great miracle worker. 
and they ran after him, trying to make him king of Israel. As Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, No, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not to entertain people. For example, you can have worship services with a Toy Story or Star Wars theme, but neither attract serious seekers nor make true disciples. Therapeutic appeals about how Christian principles can supplement or enrich otherwise complete lives also miss the point. Counterintuitively, part of the trend of decline may be churches that ask too little of those who darken their doors. The authors of The Great Dechurching suggest that low expectations of those in the pews and widely embraced individualist assumptions have led to fewer and fewer Americans finding time for church. If Christianity is seen merely as a kind of hobby or weekly pep talk designed to embrace psychological well-being or career success, then we can find better stuff on YouTube or other internet places. Why make time for this type of church service every week? But you see, Christianity is a way of life. That's what the thing is all about. It demands our allegiance. What if following Christ restructures our priorities and pursuits, our beliefs, and our behavior, including career, family, and even personal identity? Everything else in our society directs our gaze inward to ourselves, our feelings, our priorities, and our problems, as if every individual is the center of his or her own universe. Worship services that accept and even participate in this idolatry may be leading millions away from Christianity because they are not demanding everything of them they're really demanding nothing and they give false promises like that one individual who had a program and was saying that as long as I have faith in Jesus, I will never come down with the disease that is going through the country. Now that's ridiculous. Christians experience grief and suffering and injury, but God has a purpose for it. Those 
who are happy or indifferent about the decline of American churches are beginning to get glimpses of what America without Christian influence will look like because it can and will get worse. For 2,000 years, the knowledge and fear of a transcendent God, not helpful social programs, has built and filled churches. If the magnitude of that claim is forgotten or even obscured, our churches will indeed become sepulchers, but not for God, who lives and reigns forever and ever. They will become memorials of the squandered heritage of a once deeply, but no longer Christian nation. So, in speaking to the leaders in Christian congregations, we need to remember that nothing is more important than speaking of law and gospel in every sermon. The law accuses us of falling short of the glory of God and encourages us to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? We don't see that clearly from the many miracles that he does. That just makes him a great man, a great miracle worker, a great leader. Where we really see him as the Messiah is at the cross, at the resurrection, and at his ascension. For what Jesus has done, he has replaced the prosecuting attorney, Satan, with himself as the defense attorney, taking our prayers to God the Father and with the power of the Holy Spirit, making sure that they are always appropriate for the ears of the Father so that the Father not only hears our prayers, but always answers them according to our good. This is the true Christianity that people need to hear in every sermon. So not only does a sermon give them new thoughts of reality, but it gives them a glad heart. It gives them purpose. And most importantly, it gives them comfort. That's the difference between a law and gospel church and a church that simply talks about psychological endeavors. I'm Tom Baker. We won't be on the air Monday because of Labor Day, but join us on Tuesday for a look at the hymn for the following Sunday. Until then, God bless you.
Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.